the letter to the Philippians uh, 1, starting at verse 12. And going to the end, it's quite long, nobody's allowed to fall asleep our way through, thank you. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, and others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So we're in Philippians, and um, last week we started looking at this amazing letter and um, discovered from the, the start how Paul founded this church and became incredibly attached to it. It was actually the first European church. Um, Philippi is in uh, northern Greece, and um, uh, so when Paul went there, this was the, in Macedonia, this was the first church that he founded, and very, very quickly he got attached to this church, and he loved them. And uh, we saw that uh, last week he started his letter, which he wrote about 10 years after starting the church. Uh, he wrote to them, telling them that um, the good thing that God had started in them and um, he was thinking of, of all those early Christians, those one, two, three that we hear about in the book of Acts, um, that God had started a work in them that he was going to bring it to completion. And then we heard about how he prayed for uh, God to renew the love in their hearts. And the theme last week as a result was, was the, the, the new heart that God gives to all who come to Christ, all who are part of what God is wanting to do. God renews our hearts. God gives us 
a new passion, a new motivation. He helps us feel things, see things in a new way. And today the theme as we go on in the letter is a new purpose. And we're going to see as we just spend a few minutes uh, uh, sort of digging into this passage how, how Paul is uh, incredibly personal in the way that he speaks. He, he talks about his motivations. He talks about some really deep things. I imagine Paul as a fairly rigorous Pharisee before he came to know Christ. And, and, and yet here with these Christians, he's just sharing his heart. And he's saying what it is that drives him. What is it that keeps him going? What is it that gives him a sense of uh, direction and purpose? I was thinking about that this week. Yesterday I drove to Bath with my uh, second son who was starting university, starting doing uh, sports science, which I know nothing about, so I couldn't talk to him about that. But um, we were chatting in the car and it was a sort of like an interesting time. Um, I was thinking back a couple of years ago when our oldest one went to uni- away to university, to Bristol, to do engineering. And, you know, the, the feeling as, as parents, that a slightly sort of empty feeling when you're driving back in, on your own in the car. I had that yesterday as I was coming back. Um, but uh, it, it, it's just interesting how suddenly it brings you up short. You know, goodness me, he's already like 18 years old. And what? <laughs> that means I'm older than I was. And... Uh, have I done well bringing him up? You know, what were my objectives? What's important? And and funnily enough, you know, I spent some of the time coming back thinking, well, you know, what am I doing? Where am I going? Reminded me of a story uh, that I came across uh, recently of a 16-year-old girl who received a surprising text on her phone from her mum. It just read, what do you want from life? And uh, she was stunned by the sort of profundity of this, uh, of this unexpected question. So she started considering things like, well, fame, fortune, meaning. Um, but then her train of thought was soon interrupted by a second message which came. And apparently the predictive text had uh, inserted the word life in the place of Lidl. So the question originally had been, what do you want from Lidl? <laughs> the shop. Well, sometimes we get sort of like brought up short, don't we? And superficial situations suddenly plunge us into real questions. And uh, we find ourselves thinking, well, what is my purpose? Where am I going? What is it that drives me as a person? Um, many of you will know Simon Sinek, who's, the, who, who's a, a, a communicator. His TED talk um, was called Know Your Why. And he said this, there has to be, he's talking about professional context, he says there has to be a purpose for why your company exists beyond the things you make, beyond the things you do. And his secret for motivational leadership is give vision. Say why, and then people want to follow. If you just say what, they'll fulfill their functions. You say why, they start dreaming. And of course, that's true in professional life where we we can be motivated as Christians to live out our our work and the the calling we have in our work to God's glory as best we can. It's true in our family life too. I mean, that's what I was thinking about when I was taking my son. I'm thinking, what what have I been like as a parent? Because my purpose as a parent is to try and bring my children up in the fear of God and help them be rounded, flourishing individuals. But it's true too in our personal lives and it's good sometimes to be brought up sharp and say, what's my purpose? 
What's the vision that's driving me? Not just what do I do, because I can accomplish that or not, but what's driving me? What's calling me forward? Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, knew his why. He knew why he was doing what he was doing. He knew he had a sense of purpose. And his churches, all those churches that he founded as he went through his missionary journeys, they knew as well why he was doing things because he said it all the time. He was a motivational leader. In our passage, in fact, we have it numerous times. Verse 12, this is where I have to get my glasses out and I realize I'm not a student anymore. Verse 12, oh goodness, it says something. It says, advance the gospel. But then verse 14, proclaim the gospel. Verse 18, he talks about preaching Christ. Verse 20, that Christ might be exalted. Verse 25, that you may progress in faith. That 26, that you may boast in Christ Jesus. Can you, say, can you see he's, he's using different language, but it's always the same thing. He's there to share Jesus Christ with people all the time, everywhere. That is his purpose. Now, Paul is confronted with a problem. In fact, it's more a problem, as we'll see, for the Philippian Christians than for Paul. But it is a problem, because if that's his purpose, to go around, he was a professional um, uh, you know, church planter. He was a missionary. He preached. He went everywhere. And the problem is that he's now in prison. We know he wrote this letter from prison. He may have been in Rome or Ephesus, Chances are he was there for a significant period of time. We know actually in Ephesus he was. Long enough for the Philippians to get news of that and to be really worried. Because for them he's the founder of their church. He's the one who's given them direction. He's the one. And suddenly he's in prison. Well, in prison you can't, you know, you can't travel. In prison, you can't plant churches. Paul can't preach and plant churches when he's in chains. So the Philippian Christians are really worried. What does this mean? Their sense of purpose is linked to Paul's sense of purpose. They want to be like Paul. They want to preach. They want to share the good news. They want to be a church that radiates love and hope and, and trust. They want to be used by God to renew lives. They want to be able to preach and help and, and bring up those who are downtrodden, give dignity. They want to be able to reconcile, just like Paul did. And now suddenly Paul's in prison, he can't do it. And so they're wondering, what on earth has happened and, and where's God behind all that? We've seen in previous weeks how sometimes God stops us up short in our own plans. But here we are again, they're worried. And so this is how Paul begins the, the, the passage that we read together. He says very simply this, he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul sees here an opportunity to encourage them. Because if for them, him being in prison is a cause for losing heart, losing direction and purpose, it's not for Paul. Because God is bigger than circumstances for Paul. Paul knows what his purpose is and that that purpose does not depend on him. 
It isn't circumstances that will dictate to Paul whether or not he's successful in his ministry. It is the calling he's received from God. And that is what dictates things. And the circumstances, somebody said circumstances are like a mattress. If you get under them and they're on top of you, then you suffocate. But if you're on top of them, then you lie comfortable. And Paul was on top of his circumstances. He may have been in prison, but he knew who was ruling his life. And so he's able to say to the church at Philippi, to these young Christians or Christians who've been, maybe some of them Christians for 10 years or so, do not get discouraged because what has happened to me, I'm in prison, has actually been used by God to advance the gospel. In other words, God's purposes are still being worked out even though it's not quite worked out the way I imagined. And the first way he says it is here in prison. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Objectively, it may be not what I'd planned, but God's purposes are bigger. And so in prison, I can still serve him. And so there he was, Paul, probably chained to a Roman soldier as they were in Roman prisons. And Paul decides rather than spending his time wishing that he was somewhere else, he's going to take the opportunity. He can't travel, he can't plant churches, he can certainly preach to the Roman soldier. And so the Roman soldier who's chained to him becomes his audience. And every time he gets a new Roman soldier, well, hmm, hello. And he tells the next one about Jesus. I can't move, he says, but they come to me so I can preach to them. And he does. And as a result, after a while, everyone knows that he's a Christian. I came across this. Listen, one Christian writer who said this, many Christians long to be released in order that they can tell others the good news. They feel chained to their jobs or trapped in the home. They look forward to a time when they need not uh, do a job or when children have left home and they can really serve Christ. But now is the time. The possibilities are where we are. There's an interesting thing. Paul doesn't spend his time thinking, if only I was on the road. He starts where he is and God brings the captive audience. Reminds me of the story of um, Susanna Wesley, the mother of uh, John and Charles Wesley. John, the great founder of Methodism and and Charles Wesley, the author of thousands. He wrote 6,000 hymns. Did you know that? I mean, wow, that's amazing. Better get going, Ruth. Listen, she had 19 children, all right? And she lived in extreme poverty, I'm not surprised. Her husband left home twice, once because he was put in the debtor's prison and the second time because he disagreed with his wife's political views. I don't know what they were. But here's the thing, she educated all their 19 children single-handedly. She taught them all Greek by the age of, at the age of 10. I don't know why. Why Greek? But she did. And more importantly, hmm? so they could read the New Testament. 
Well, yeah, it, it, just, it, it just happened to exist in English, though, as well. But anyway, that's, just, <laughs> that's completely sidelined. Uh, well, why not? Um, but here's the point. She uh, gave herself to teaching them the Christian faith. She rarely left the house, but every day she put an apron over her head for one hour and prayed. And all her children knew not to disturb her during that hour. She trained them in godliness. Within the walls of her house, one person said, she carried out a ministry to her children that was to change first England and then the world. In her home. Paul preaches in prison and it provokes a chain reaction. So why don't we start where we are? instead of dreaming of where we're not. Here's the second thing I see. Um, Paul is trying to reassure the Philippians because while he's in prison and can't travel around, other people are taking his place. Other people are going around and preaching and often they're preaching with mixed motives. Sometimes they're presumably preaching because they want prestige or they're preaching because it, look, because it get, gets them money or because it gives them influence. I, I, I don't quite know. But Paul is convinced here too that if God's purposes are bigger than his circumstances, God's purposes are also bigger than his reputation. And there's a lesson we need to learn. His ministry doesn't count. It's not the ultimate thing. What's ultimate for Paul is God's purpose. And God can use who he chooses. And so if for a season Paul is in prison and can only preach to one soldier at a time, he'll do that and he'll trust God for the rest. In fact, he'll do more than that. Our passage is extraordinary. Because Paul recognises quite openly, he says it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. The latter do so out of goodwill, of love, love and stuff, but others out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But this is what he says. I mean, if it had been me, I'd have said, go out and get them. But he doesn't. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Can you see that he's so sure that God is in control that he doesn't try and do what he can't do? And if he sees other people occupying the, ter the terrain, as it were, He's actually ready to bless them, even though their, 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 their motives might not be right. Now, friends, we need that. We're in a world that's so cut up and, and dysfunctional, where relationships are so broken, where each person's judging the other, where we're looking and trying to separate ourselves and, and we're saying, well, so-and-so, I don't agree with that person and I don't agree with that person. And, 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 and we do it in the church. I don't like that church because they're different from me and I don't like this, I don't like... Let's get Paul's attitude. He sees God's purpose behind things. And he blesses. He's willing to bless and rejoice in the actions of other people, even if he's not in agreement. So long as it's Christ that is preached, he'll go with that. That's enough for Paul. An attitude of blessing and encouragement. Now it's interesting. That's... Paul's motivation, his sense of purpose. Very interesting. Um, I was in a conversation with a genetic evolutionist this week. 
I didn't understand much of it. One thing I did understand is that for, for, for gen, genetic evolutionists, our purpose is just to survive. That's our biology, isn't it? Correct me, help, help, help me, help me, help me. That's right, isn't it? That's what they say, biology. The gene, the selfish gene, just wants to survive. That's the aim. It's against everything. It's competitive. Actually, the, the, my genetic evolutionist friend called David, who was, is a Christian, uh, pointed out that genes don't operate individually, they operate collaboratively, but that's a, sep a separate thing. But here's the point. We're not just biological genes, are we? We're made in the image of God and we're made to collaborate, not to be competitive. To be made in God's image is to be made relational, not competitive in the wrong way. I don't have anything wrong with you know, competing in the right way. But we aim to encourage, to draw out, to build up to bless others, to collaborate. And there's Paul's second thing. Even in rivalry, he's confident that God has a purpose and so he'll trust God for that. But there's a third thing which is even more extraordinary as the passage goes on. Because he doesn't just talk about being in prison and, and, and confident in circumstances or, or with his rivals, confident in opposition. He also talks about his own life and he becomes incredibly personal. And he actually says this extraordinary verse here in verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What on earth does he mean by that? Well, it's very interesting. Generally speaking in life, our purpose is to live, isn't it? I mean, in healthcare, um, the may, a major purpose and objective in healthcare is, is to enable people to live as long as possible. I mean, we know I'm speaking under, in reserve here because I've got great medical minds and I always stray on to, you know, I'm walking on eggs. But, you know, we, we, we know that, that good medical practice is not just about prolonging life. It's also about, it's not just quantity, it's quality. That's what palliative care has taught us in particular. But, but the basis of medical, you know, the doctors are seeking to, to continue life, but sometimes that's taken to ridiculous degrees outside. I'm not talking about the medical profession now. I'm talking about generally we're obsessed with how long. But actually, it's not just about how long. It's about how deep, how high. We take out health care in order to prolong our life. Actually, I was having a really interesting conversation with David there, who did our reading. Again, David, I didn't understand much of it, but what I did understand, we were talking about life insurance. I get into the most strange conversations at the moment, talking about life insurance, and David was, was just highlighting this amazing paradox that, you know, for the insurance company, they want you to live as long as possible. Yeah, but you ideally want to die as soon as possible, because then there's a better return for your investment. Isn't that right? <laughs> You know, because if you take out a life insurance and then the next day you die, you get lots of money. Well, except that you're not there to enjoy it. <laughs> hey, listen, but here's the deal. As Christians, we do have a better return because we do have a different perspective and we do invest elsewhere. And Paul is actually so confident in the purposes of God that he realizes that even his life is not the center God is the center. And there will be a day when he's called to be with God and everything will be unveiled. 
and he will discover Jesus Christ. And if the day comes when God calls him to that place, Paul will rejoice. But as long as he can be useful to God's purposes, his life, he wants it to continue, but his life is not absolute. Do you see that? Isn't that extraordinary? Even his physical life is not the absolute thing around which everything turns. The big question for Paul is not what's the purpose of my life, but what's God's purpose and how can I find my place in it? And for the length of time God gives me, I will serve him. I used to sing a song when I was small called, or young called, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. Did anybody know that song? That's right, that's what Paul says, but he doesn't try and go further. He'll do what God calls him to do and then he'll trust. So he talks here about being torn between two things. On the one hand, he, he, he longs to be with Christ because it is actually what, what Christians have up ahead is far better than what they have behind. And that goes beyond even our physical lives. You know that, don't you? But he also wants to be useful and use well and wisely what God has given him. It's funny, I came across the story of Henry Venn. Have you heard of Henry Venn? He was a, a famous 18th century Christian, very um, generous benefactor, involved in lots of different things. And, and uh, when the doctors at uh, one time told him that he was going to die in a fortnight, um, that fact excited him and transported him into such joy that he lived for an extra three months. <laughs> it's true. But I do remember a pastor friend in France who had a heart um, operation and as he was being wheeled into the operating theatre, he was singing, Vine be the glory. And he died, singing. Isn't that beautiful? A few months ago, a friend of mine, Sonia, who's also a vicar, um, who'd been diagnosed with... um, brain tumour, she died. And just before she died, I was able to visit her in hospital and she was telling everybody about Jesus. That's Paul's attitude. You know, even our lives, we don't need to fear, friends, because it's in God's hands. Our purposes, the purpose of our lives is to serve God's purpose. And it's big, it's so much bigger and we, we limit things to our own, you know, we get obsessed with me and Paul's obsessed with Christ it's not for nothing that um, this passage speaks time and time and time and time again about Jesus Christ all the way through reread it Christ 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 Jesus Christ 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 for me to live is Christ and to die is gain let me be faithful where he's put me Let me be faithful with the people around. Let me be faithful going for as far as I can go and then when the Lord calls me, I will gladly return to him. So, great, three things, Paul. So how do we live? How do we live? And this is where his passage finishes and this is where I I finish. He says this, verse 27, whatever happens, whatever happens, see that? Whatever happens. He, he, He could die, he's in prison. And he says, whatever happens, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ, the gospel of Christ. 
The word used, conduct yourselves, is actually a word that had a political overtone in, in the um, ancient world. It was the, the word used um, to refer to the way that citizens were expected to live. Okay? And the Philippians, in Philippi, the, the, the citizens of Philippi, they were Roman citizens. It had become a Roman colony. Um, and, uh, um, and as Roman citizens in this colony, they were proud to be Roman. They spoke the Roman language. They wore Roman dress. They followed Roman customs. They had Roman titles. They were proud of those privileges. And actually, in the Roman world, no one was more proud than the people in the colonies. Um, but Paul here is saying that they are citizens of a different place. That they have, as it were, dual citizenship. I have two passports. French and British. But he's saying that they have two passports. The Bible, the Christian identity, they're in Christ. And then they're Roman. They're the same, both. But when it comes to perspective and purpose... He's saying to them, don't let your purpose come from your Roman identity. Get it from Christ. And then he says to them, um, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Standing firm, striving, suffering if necessary. And each time he says, together. So there's his message to the church. If they want to be a light, if they want to have perspective and they want to have a sense of purpose, they need to get hold of God's purpose, God's big picture. So whatever their circumstances, and today whatever our circumstances, whatever the people around us, whatever God is going to do with our lives, let's entrust ourselves to him today so that his purpose might be accomplished through us and not be obsessed with ourselves. Because that is the source, I think, of blessing for those around. Let's be generous and let's try and encourage life wherever it is to be seen and to be found. Amen. Let's just take a moment out. Can the musicians come? And You're just going to play something instrumentally for us. And as we listen to that, let's use it as just a way of praying. And you may find it helpful just to close your eyes and... Um, perhaps just focus on one or two of these verses or perhaps you just want to say Lord um, would you renew in me that sense of purpose so I know my why whether it's you know in a work context or at home or in your studies or with your friends or whatever it is that you might be in God's place with God's attitude God's perspective